Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 53 of Zion's Finest. This is Kenny Brown. In this episode, I am joined by Matt Richards. He's one of our best local players. He won a regional in Las Vegas. I think it was in December of 2016, and he is an incredibly competitive player. Took second place at Denver Regionals. Always does really well in our local tournaments. Awesome player. Went to Worlds. Did very well. He went 5-2 and two with Han Rangers. I mean, he knows exactly what he's talking about. In this episode, what we're going to be doing is a little bit of strategy and a little bit of speculation. We're going to be talking about the Rebel Care Package and the role of focus generally, what we think needs to happen with focus what we think needs to happen with the rebel care package specifically as it applies to scum but realistically just how it's working in the current meta if if there's anything that we think can change so that rebels might not be so dependent on focus we kind of just go over everything it's really good it's not so much i don't want anyone to think this is a salt fest where we're going to be talking about why like for me why i'm mad that uh, scum's got access to focus when they obviously don't need it in order to kill everything on the board. Don't worry. we Matt stops me from going on any of those rants. But first off, just a few logistics items. Join us on the Slack channel by sending an email to zionsfinestia at gmail.com. Support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash zionsfinest and selecting one of the sweet rewards that you can get. We have a little bit of news. One is that we're Euros just happened. Luke Sykes, who was at Worlds, who I met, he is an awesome, very cool guy from the UK, was the champion. He won with a scum list without IG. Uh, he did have Java, so, I mean, who knows what's going on over there in Europe. We're going to have him on the podcast soon to give a report on how he did and like where he thinks the meta's at. It's going to be a ton of fun, but it sounds like they had a really great turnout at Euros, which makes us very, very happy. Store championships have also been announced. You should go to... I will actually... Never mind. I will put the link for the store champs in the show notes. People should contact their local stores because it's not every store that's listed there is actually having a tournament, although I think they have been contacted by FFG, but a lot of our local stores here in Utah that previously haven't had store champs are having a store champ, so you should definitely um, put some heat on them to see, to see what they're doing. Um, next thing is that we are starting a no top 16 vassal tournament on the Zion's Finest Slack channel. How that works is everyone is going to be building a single list. And the, list, the only rule for the list building is you can't have a single card, either deployment or command card, that was in the top 16 at Worlds. So, for example, I will be probably running Obi-Wan Dava, something like that. Um, obviously, these things are not, like, the best, but we're not, like, people aren't just running dumb stuff. They're trying to maximize with, with the, uh, the restrictions that they've been given. Except for me. I just want to run my Jedis. So, anyway. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's going to be happening. Registration is actually happening now. And over the weekend, everyone on the Slack channel knows about it. But if there's someone out there who's interested in joining um, but is not on the Slack channel, you need to first join the Slack channel, and then we'll get you an invite. We'll get you immediately plugged in. But like I said, that is going to be going down pretty soon. That's all the news I have. Um, we're going to be waiting for more news of from Tyrants of Lothal as we approach Gen Con and as we kind of get into the season. So we'll see how that goes down. In the meantime, we'll just keep waiting. Now let's turn to the episode. Hello, I am joined by Matt Richards. Hey, how's it going? Matt, give us a give us a reminder of how amazing of a player you are. I talk about <laughs> you all the time, but sure, you're, my, yeah. you're my stand-in for good Rebel player, besides Brett Kelly, of course. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I'm one of the local Utah players, one of the Zion's finest guys here. I've been on a couple episodes in the past. Um, I was I did a report for my showing at Denver Regionals, uh, you know, way back in like January, which is just forever ago. It's an eternity. Um, and it's kind of interesting because I've kind of fallen into the Rebel Player category because that's what I've done recently. But I've mostly been pretty faction agnostic throughout my play in Imperial Assault. But it's fun to be one of the Rebels right now. So That's true. We sh I should say, I mean, if you have a style of play that you most prefer, like 
there's like an archetype or something like how would you classify yourself in terms of do you like hunters do you like heroes like what's your what's your preferred archetype? i mean i've always liked using lots of non-unique figures and sort of using multiple like consistent attacks over sort of the high roll high impact individual plays right now every list is kind of doing a little bit of both and i dig that um but yeah i was a big fan of trooper swarm back in the day and i think my heart still lies kind of in that direction i like that i very much like actually let me uh before we dive into the episode a quick aside and a jolly little benefit for all of you i played a game on vassal the other day against well i mean there's I, i well okay i played a game on vassal the other day against dt and he was running his 2016 Worlds list. So double elite uh, stormtroopers, Blaze, two officers, and mm-hmm. an ATDP instead of his elite heavies with targeting computer. And oh, then he had cross, interesting. He had cross-training, rule by fear, and obviously Zillow. Mm-hmm. And it was a very, very, very good list. I was playing my like weird rebel, or I was playing my Jedi, New- Jedi Knight Luke spy list which is kind of, it's its own weird kind of beast. And I, round one, I had a uh, strat shift, which is exactly what I needed because he had all of his spy cards, but I was able mm-hmm. to get off my strat shift first um, because, you know, as soon as somebody, as, as soon as someone ruled up here, it's like, all right, I'm going to, let's go for it. Um, and, but we, we had, I, it was a very, very, very awesome game. And watching his list in action, obviously this is DT, so he totally knows what he's doing. Yeah. But watching him play this like trooper swarm where it's like, Oh, elite stormtroopers suck. Well, it turns out if you kill one of them and the other two get focused and you can't kill them, that's a green, that's a haunt attack, right? That's going to be coming at you. And two of them, right? So I was, I was pretty impressed. Not like, I mean, I'm not jumping ship for troopers anytime soon. And obviously DT is not like playing it as it's like it, this is it. But Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting to like experiment about like with those elite storms to see like where we think they can go. Absolutely. That makes me super happy that that list is, is still pretty strong. So, cause I played a lot of that list after DT kind of shocked the world with it at worlds. I yeah. ended up taking it to a regionals during the following season and won. And that was really exciting. I loved the like points denial play of that list. And I understand yeah. why they changed the scoring and why yep. it was a problem, but I thought it just create presented such interesting tactical choices that you could force for your opponent. Like I loved the mind games of that particular list. So Absolutely. it makes me happy that it's still it, that it's still around in one form or another. It does a really cool thing because with the so spies, the thing about whenever you're playing against spies, you are on a clock because they're going to get the cards that they need in order to ruin your ability to do anything meaningful with command cards. So you mm-hmm. kind of got to put a little bit of pressure on them in order to get those cards out of hand or start to kill their spies. And he uh, so he's got Blaze and a set of cross trained stormtroopers, so you know he's going to have comms disruption. Um, but then the problem is, is as you're trying to apply pressure to those spies, he's got an ATDP sitting there, right? And that is right. like the exact kind of thing you want to like apply to stop people from applying pressure yeah. because they, I can't send Jedi Knight Luke up into the fray to take two ATDP shots unless I've got Son of Skywalker. And even then, like I ne- it needs to be the last thing that I do. So it was really interesting. But Yeah, that's super interesting. That's exciting. I'm going to have to play around with that. Yeah, I'll have to try. Okay, well, as, as I said in the introduction, this episode is going to be more of a strategy, not quite a speculation episode, but kind of just like an analysis of a core component of the game, which is the Rebel Care Package. 
mostly the episode's going to revolve around talking about problems with Rebel Care Package, what changes we think that they're going to make to it, if we think changes are necessary, and just kind of like how focus and all of these things work in the game. But first off, I'm going to turn it over to Matt to get us started. Great, yeah. Before I sort of dive in, I do, do want to sort of clarify that like, while the speculation about the rules or about the future of the game can be really interesting, I think our primary goal here is sort of say, like, if we can really understand the weight that something like Rebel Care Package has in the game, that really helps to inform your strategic choices, whether it's in list building, whether it's in the middle of a match, that kind of a thing. And Absolutely. so really the goal here is understanding the current state of the game and the list building that exists rather than trying to, you know, propose wide-sweeping changes on the future of the game. Absolutely. Um, so there's been a lot of discussion um, in our Slack channel, in some of the various Facebook groups about Imperial Assault Skirmish that I've seen around about Rebel Care Package. Um, just to sort of be clear, that's kind of the, the community term that we use to talk about Gideon and C-3PO. Um, and they're called Rebel Care Package because they show up in just about every Rebel list and temporary alliances used to sort of send them as the care package into scum. Um, a lot of times Hera gets lumped into that either as a part of the core Rebel Care Package or sometimes we call it Rebel Care Package Plus as just sort of these generic, like, universally good Rebel support figures that see a lot of utility in both the Rebel and the scum factions. So of the, of the criticisms or concerns that exist around the Rebel Care Package... These were sort of the big points that I have noticed that are out there for discussion among the player base right now. Uh, first, the idea that they're, they're included in just about every single Rebel and Scum list, um, at least those that see a lot of success in competitive play, um, and having figures that are auto-includes, you know, having points that you're automatically spending no matter what list you're running, feels a little bit limiting in terms of customizing your list in terms of being able to be flexible and adapt to the existing metagame. Uh, second, that the wide versatility and strength of Rebel Care Package Plus has the potential negative impact for future content, future releases. Uh, generally, that bucket tends to get called future design space in that it limits what the IA design team can release for those factions in the future that can do cool things because they potentially face abuse by getting the added focus and benefit from those support figures. So let's uh, let's put a finer point on that. Like what that means is that every single at this point rebel and scum figure that gets released, they have to think really hard about giving that that figure a three die attack because that three die mm -hmm. attack easily becomes a four die attack, right? Yep. And so, I mean, like, the ability to... The difference between a three and a four die attack is pretty large, right, in terms of, like, damage output, range, consistency, all of Absolutely. these things. And so so they have to really think, okay, if we're going to give this figure three dice, we need to know that it's a, it's functionally a four or a 3.5 dice attack unit. And so, yeah, it's very... It's, like, it's incredibly constraining. Like, we look at all these figures, like, Davith is a great example, where it's like mm -hmm. he's rolling a green and yellow, and you're like... There is no way a green and yellow is going to do anything. That's what uh, Alliance smuggler, smuggler rolls. But the whole premise mm -hmm. is, is like, okay, well, we have to give him a hide and we have to give him a focus token. So he's functionally rolling green, green, yellow, right? Mm -hmm. And so now if you want to give him another dice, like that just becomes a little terrifying, honestly. Although I'd love to see it as a Dallas player, but... Absolutely, yeah. And I, and I think that you can see some of that as it exists 
Um, as, as you look at some of the spoilers we have for Tyler's of Lothal, and obviously it's really hard to get a good estimate of how those things play without actually seeing them on the table yeah. in the future environment. And we also have only seen the skirmish card, I think, of, of Zeb and of Kanan because of the spoiler leak so yep. far. But if you yep. look at all of the rebel figures that have been spoiled, even if, like, if, they're, if their skirmish versions are anywhere close to what their campaign versions are, they all feel a little bit overcosted for what they do because there's kind of this assumption they're going to have that green die in there. But it's yep. a little bit tricky because they don't always have that green die, and so you end up with these weird situations where, like, Alliance Rangers are really great with one group, but not so great with two of them because you don't have the depth of focus and all of that. We, that's kind of another discussion. Um, and I think that the, the other third big point that I think that people have complaints about Rebel Care Package is the lack of a of there being a thematic or a playstyle distinction between rebel and scum as factions? You yeah. Know, because both of those factions are pretty heavily relying on the focus train that comes from Rebel Care Package and from the added help from Hera. Uh, in many cases now, it's also the card draw from R2. Because they are all running basically the same support package, it makes it feel like they play very similarly and that there's not a lot of differentiation between these factions, which thematically should feel and play very differently. Absolutely. Um, one of the contentions that I sort of have about that particular point, just to tuck this in there, I think we're going to dive into the other points in a little bit more detail, is that I think that a lot of that problem actually exists because um, both Rebels and Scum are using Hunters and Smugglers primarily for their damage dealers, and so they're using yep. the same command cards which is part of what makes them feel really samey. Whereas even with the same support package, they might have a little bit more differentiation if they if their rank-and-file figures were a little bit different as well. Yeah, I mean, like, again, to put a really fine point on that, like, the final was the the queen piece, and I love that that has, like, kind of become a staple, but, like, we have two queen pieces, IG and Han. Both have got access to tools for the job, and both mm -hmm. have got access to easy focus. I mean, mm -hmm. IG's got really easy focus, um, backed up by a set of hunters, right, and Rebel Care Package Plus. So you have uh, double weak, or so you have two weak weight pirates and uh, Greedo against three uh, elite Alliance Rangers, right? But like the Rebel Care Package Plus, I mean, like functionally, like they're running the exact same list, just mm -hmm. mirrored against each other. And so, yeah, that's a great point. Right. Yep. So let's sort of dive into that first point, which is like. Are auto-include figures necessarily bad for the game? So I think there's this idea, this argument that, okay, if we have 40 points to spend, uh, that's not a super high number, especially if you consider, if you compare to some of the other FFG Star Wars games and the, the point scale they're working on is, you know, 1 to 200 or even 400 sometimes. It yep. feels like you have just a lot more flexibility to spend points in a couple of different ways compared to the 40 that we get for Imperial Assault. And so it's kind of a bummer that you're spending, you know, five to nine points in every single list, sometimes more than that, on the same support units, no matter what other units you're you're bringing. So what do you what do you think about that, Kenny? So I am not opposed to auto include units. I mean, I totally understand the argument that having nine points, every rebel list that runs ranged heroes that runs any kind of serious range unit has got nine points baked in. I mean, like baked in. If you're not running Hera. It's not to say, like, you can't do okay with it, but I would be very skeptical that any argument for leaving Hera out with ranged mm -hmm. units mm -hmm. 
uh, overweighs like what she brings to the table in terms of she also brings a good attack. She's a smuggler. She's a leader, right? Like she's got, she's just so good. So with these nine points baked in, it's like, yeah, that is kind of a problem. Like it from a design perspective that like every mm-hmm. single rebel list and a thematic perspective, I guess my, the reason why it doesn't bother me quite as much is because I don't like auto includes when auto includes are like, they take your list from, they take the list not the not the the units themselves, but they take the list from like a good list to a great list, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, like that, by and of themselves, they just make the list better than better than the competition. Like, give it an edge as opposed to an equalizer. And I think the good example for that is Zillow technique. Zillow technique, like if you're running imperial an imperial list, even more so than the Rebel Care Package, which sounds crazy, mm-hmm. you need to have Zillow. Like if right. you don't have Zillow, like you have made a mistake in your list building, and right. so, but I don't, I don't consider that to be a problem because that adds kind of a thematic flair, right? To what, yeah, what and it's and it's an equalizer, right? Like it's mm-hmm. not just it's not just about giving. It doesn't make Imperial lists better than all these other lists, but it's the equalizer in order to like combat the fact that everyone else has got focus, right? And so I don't think about it in terms of it doesn't bother me when what it's doing is equalizing the faction. Although I would like it to be a little bit more thematic, I guess probably would be a good way to describe the the crux of my complaint on auto-includes. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that auto-includes can actually be really healthy for a game sometimes when when they provide like a thematic distinction between factions, if they, and particularly like sometimes when they're flexible, like I look at like the Imperial Officer, and that's mm. a figure that has been in every single Imperial list yep, that's um, a great point. since the game was released because they're in the core set. Um, and they were a little bit too strong, and so they nerfed them, but they have still been in every single list. And nobody complains about the presence of Imperial officers in the game. That's a great point. Great um, point. You know, and because they're just a solid unit, they don't, they haven't overwhelmingly shaped the kinds of lists that you have to build in Empire. You know, they, they fit flexibly into a lot of different things. I think Zillow does the same thing. And I think, to an extent, Rebel Care Package does the same thing. I think where, where it gets to be a problem is when you have some really strong playmaking style figures that can really define the style of your list and by extension the style of the metagame that then become auto-includes. And I think it will be interesting to see if we run into those kinds of problems with some of the really high-impact pieces that exist in the game currently. But I think that as an auto-include, like I think that support is support-style units, flavor-style units, small advantages that give your faction a distinction from other ones are, can be really healthy for a competitive game. I think that is a great a great way to to delineate that because Imperial officers are just like an ex- a classic example of they are an auto include right like most I, I I am sure that there were some Imperial lists that did not have them but ninety percent of Imperial lists and that is as close to auto include as you're going to get besides a hundred percent which is what it is with Zillow technique are going to have those guys but I also think they add like a little bit of a thematic flair right and so you know mm-hmm. you've every every list has got baseless imperial people with Darth Vader and then some officers ordering they, they, ha- so. they have all of those white dudes standing around and pointing at all of the troopers to go get in there and get stuff done yeah exactly exactly okay so before we um, talk about like the impact of the Rebel Care Package Plus on Rebel and Scum design I just want to again make clear how large of an impact the Rebel Care Package and the Rebel Care Plus had on the metagame so at Worlds Every single Rebel and Scum list in the top 16 
every single Rebel and Scum list, right? That's not just Rebel. In the top 16 had at least Gideon and C-3PO. And mm-hmm. some had, so that's the Rebel Care package, and some had the Rebel Care Plus. I do not know of a list in the top 32, either Scum or Rebel, that did not have some component of the Rebel Care package, Absolutely. right? In terms, in of, fact, I would I would be shocked. Like I would guess that the number of Rebel and Scum lists that were just at Worlds, like in the event, like I would guess that, like I would not be surprised if there was zero Rebel and Scum lists in the entire event that didn't have both Gideon and three PO. And yeah. I would be very surprised if that number was, you know, was more than five lists yeah, that I th- did not have them. Lists, so yeah, exactly. So I think Luke Sykes, he might, ha- I don't think he had Hera. He had mm-hmm. Jabba, which is what I remember. But I still think he had the Rebel Care Package, right? Yep. I still think he had Gideon C-3PO, right? And that just tells you how crazy that is, that with this figure, Jabba, I remember when Jabba was originally teased and released, listening to the Vader's Finest guys talk about it. Where, you know, they were like, they, they weren't, I think, totally sold on, on Java initially. Um, although it seemed like everyone kind of got on the Java train for a little while. And then obviously now everyone's kind of gotten off the Java train. But mm-hmm. you were looking at him and you're like, he's the Rebel Care Package, right? He gives you a focus and he gives you a command card. So instead of that second uh, focus, you get a command card instead. And obviously there's there's differences. He doesn't add the defensive bonus, but blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Java's doing these things that the Rebel Care Package is doing. But even still, with Java the Rebel Care Package has still maintained a dominant presence in the Scum Faction, right? Right. So it's just really important to, like, understand how how pervasive it is as, like, we're talking about what it does for, like, Rebel and Scum design. Um, One of the things that's interesting, so we've talked about how the extent to which both the Rebel and the Scum Faction have kind of been designed around the assumption of Rebel Care Package being a thing. And I think nowhere is that more apparent than if you look at the Alliance Ranger figures, particularly the elites. Mm. If you look at how they're costed, it's it's very strange that like they they roll two blue dice, which is pretty weak. They uh, all things considered, they're great at range. They have these things like re rolls and built in peers and a decent surge abilities and all of those things. Uh, But it's very clear if you've ever tried to play Rangers. Uh, so I, I spent some time playing around with double rangers lists um, prior to Heart of the Empire. And the problem that they run into is that... So rangers are really powerful offensively if they have that focus because suddenly they're, they have one really consistent die and they have two rerolls they can access on their less consistent dice. Yep. Um, they can hit some really high damage targets, especially with the help of all the hunter cards. But the problem that you run into if you're, if you're trying to run two sets of Elite Rangers, which you don't have, by the way, with Elite Weakways or with Elite Jets, which I kind of think are kind of the comparable rank-and-file troops for each faction, is that you get these really diminishing returns. I think that like if you compare one group to one group to one group, obviously there's different point values, but Rangers have some of the highest upfront tempo damage swing potential they, they make better use of that focus than any other figures in the game, except for maybe Han. Maybe, yeah. That's um, a good point. But without it, they really struggle to get anything done. And so, it, it be, and so Rebels, their, their, their entire faction um, over the, with the last couple of releases, and really even since the beginning of the game, because Gideon has been in the game from the core set, and 3PO came in the first wave of expansions, so pretty much since 3PO was released, every figure in the Rebel faction is sort of based around the assumption of, okay, how scary is it if this figure has 
you know, a focus attack every single round. Absolutely. Um, by contrast, I think Scum, Scum's really strong, and I think that Scum is pretty still very reliant on those extra focuses. I think part of what makes things like Elite Weequays really powerful is that they also just take really great advantage of that focus dive. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're also hunters. They're also... Um, they, they have this pretty crazy alpha strike potential as a result of Rebel Care Package. And, and I think that, like, so one of the things that we have sort of talked about generally is that if, if tomorrow Gideon and 3PO were just removed from the game, I mean, this won't happen, but if, you know, word were, were to come down from, from the mountain of FFG to say, we are going to remove Gideon and 3PO, they're on the ban list, uh, I think Scum... Scum gets hit, and Scum gets hit pretty hard. Yeah, absolutely. But I think they're still competitive. I mean, Empire wins in that scenario, obviously, but I think that Scum can still be pretty competitive, but Rebels are just off the map entirely. Let, let me uh, let me uh, jump in here, Matt, for a second, just like to, to talk about that for a second. Because, so right now, the most competitive Rebel figures are Elite Rangers, Han, um, we'll say Jedi Knight Luke, not like Luke has not made a huge lasting impact on the meta but i mean he's he's a strong he's a strong figure yeah he was i mean i mean the go-to rebel archetype before heart of the empire was jedi knight luke and elite rangers exactly great point okay so then we've got figures like ahsoka dracotta i mean like these are realistically ahsoka and dracotta are not in 75 to 80 percent of rebelists i mean they are a very small fraction but they're still Hard-hitting pieces, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, the out of these figures, like, this is Reve- this is who Rebels need to do damage with, right? They're not going to get damage out with almost any other figure, realistically, consistently. Mm-hmm. Out of those figures, I would say the only ones who r- don't really need focus are Jakarta, maybe, Han, mm-hmm. maybe, Jedi Knight Luke, possibly, although I think he still really needs it, but, like, I think I mean like they all desperately need it, and part of the reason why is because in most rebel lists, and this is something that I talked about in the last episode with Lucas, which hasn't been released yet, but it's he he has like made this so clear is you got to think like how many meaningful attacks are you going to be making every round? And I've like thought about this a lot, like with you know with the box, the old box I had three meaningful attacks. In the box, the box I took to Worlds, I had only two meaningful attacks, right? Mm-hmm. But you think, like, how many meaningful attacks are you taking? Rebels, most of the time, are taking very few, which is why that focus is so important because they just got to get every bit of mileage out of it. So if you take the Rebel Care Package away, all of a sudden now, like, Rebels have a very hard time using their meaningful attacks, which are very mm-hmm. few, to do anything significant. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, and I think that part of what's important to consider about that is that uh, because of the, and this kind of dovetails into some of the proposed fixes that we're going to talk about here in just a minute, but one of the things that happens in terms of a limit on design space is that they have to be really careful about not only what figures have access to focus and what figures can really take advantage of that focus, but you have to be really careful as well about what figures can't use it or what figures mm. don't make use of it. Because if you have, because in many cases that that can become an auto include as a result because it, it doesn't compete for focus with your with your other figures that need it desperately. Absolutely. Yeah, just sort of to wrap that thought up, I think that one of the things that we talk about is as long as Rebel Care Package continues to exist in the game, um, there there's always going to be this dynamic of how does how does this impact 
particularly the first exchange of fire, but just how does it impact the strength of every single figure in that faction? Every figure has to sort of ask this question, okay, what can they do with focus? What can they do without focus? And are both of those things reasonable? Yeah. So yeah, I think that one of the things that's happened is that, and I think that like we talk about this as being scum, uh, I think it's more specifically a hunter keyword problem. Yes, so with, with the release of Java's Realm, so like one of the discussions we've had frequently on the Slack is this question of like, okay, is Vader and his insane defensive capability, is that a response to the crazy hunter alpha strike? Or is the crazy, like, is, is the even higher ramping of the hunter alpha strike a ramp up? Like, is that a response to the fact that you you have to be able to deal with Vader some way. And and I feel like to some extent that's a bit of a chicken or the egg problem. I mean, I guess you can look and say, okay, well, Hunters existed slightly before fixed Vader. But, yeah. Um, but part of the issue has been, I think, so because so, Rebel Care Package has been in the game for a long time and people haven't really talked about it being a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but the access to so many damage modifiers, so many damage additions as from the Hunter cards, from Tools for the Job, from Assassinate, from all of those kinds of things, has in many cases turned that focus into, hey, this is an extra little, this is an extra beef to my attack, to, hey, I can realistically expect to remove figures with ease. Yes, indeed. And and as a result, that that turn that that allows the game to turn on these really pivotal, like it makes the very first attacks that you make that much more important, um, which I think has facilitated some of the card draw shenanigans that we're seeing and some of the stalling activation shenanigans that we're seeing. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, the problem with this is that if we've got scum scum hunters who, as you said, have got access to these cards that already allow them to amplify their damage, to give them two additional dice, right? Now, the crazy thing is, is like you think about that, and you're like, well, that's like it's only one more dice. And as we're going to talk about later, that functionally translates into an, an additional accuracy and then a damage and a surge. That's what that mm-hmm. translates into. But think about, like, that doesn't seem like a lot, but that Mm -hmm. is, in most cases, what is necessary in order to remove a unit, right? That allows an unfocused weak way can, without, like, massive card investment, can one-shot a ranger like it's possible, but it is not very likely. Right. And so, so with that being the case, now you've got to think, like, now I can one-shot that ranger, right? Mm -hmm. Or I can one-shot a jet, or I can one-shot... Um, or two-shot an Ahsoka, right? Like, right. unfocused weak ways could not two-shot Ahsoka most of the time. I mean, they maybe they could, but it would be harder to do. But they can realistically easily expect to kill her in two shots or, you know, a focus shot and then just a little cleanup shot afterwards. Like, that's, that's what we're talking about in terms of, like, how much of an advantage the focus gives the scum hunters absolutely. in that it allows them to really alpha, like, absolutely mm-hmm. alpha. Yeah, and, and I think that that's sort of had this pretty pretty heavy effect on the metagame where you have um, you have Imperial players that are running Vader and Elite Riots and figures that have a lot of health, they have Zillow, they have a lot of damage mitigation to try and sort of blunt the edge of that really strong alpha strike. And then you have, like, Han Rangers, which basically exists entirely, like, so primarily it exists as a response to, hey, how, how can I myself alpha down... Darth Vader before he can do anything. Yes. But, but it functions competitively as well to sort of look and say, okay, um, I can also compete with Scum in the sense that I can, um, my damage output 
is is roughly equivalent, but I can do it from an additional three or four spaces away, which gives yeah. me a positioning advantage. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I think that like it's important to keep that context in mind of like what is the specific metagame as we then dive into what are some of the suggestions that have come out from the community for how do we fix this problem of the ubiquity of Rebel Care Package. Um, so I think I think the first fix that I've heard, or the one that we've actually seen implemented the most, is we've had a couple of figures, most notably in the uh, Jawa, BT1, Hera, Chopper wave that came out post-Jawa's Realm, that included figures that focus themselves before they attack. And this is really interesting because what it basically does, it says if you're already focused, then you don't get any benefit from spending resources to focus those figures. It's a way of giving a figure a three, or in the case of BT1, a four die attack without, um, without allowing them to turn that into even more damage with an additional focus. And on the one hand, I, I really like this particular approach because you look at it and you say, oh, this, this is a way to introduce figures where, you, where their damage calculus is fixed and when you have this focus buff existing in the game, that can't impact it. But I think there's also a downside, which is what we've seen with IGA8, which is this is a really potent, powerful figure who doesn't need access to those support influences, to those focuses, and so you can run him alongside other figures that do and suddenly yep. have a really big powerhouse lineup. Yeah, you're not quite past the point where you're you're getting diminishing gains i think uh, so a good way to illustrate this on the other side is to think about hera right mm -hmm. you get very little benefit from hera if you don't have hard-hitting range figures right? right so now the question at what at what point you know uh, you have enough range to justify including her like that's up for debate but if you have no range figures like my jedi knight luke spies list i have no range figures dealing meaningful attacks mm -hmm. okay so with that being the case there's no reason to bring hera now the thing with like ig pirates is we are there is still not enough resources available to the player who's running IG to not also still include, um, I, I like the pirates, right? Like all he has done mm -hmm. is got this really awesome figure who doesn't need support. So we're still on the other side of the needing focus curve, as opposed to like we've we've passed the point at which like we're getting a significant benefit out of it. Right, right. And I also think I want to say about this autofocus thing. Obviously, this doesn't do a whole lot to fix the previous problems for for the meta but i think it as a structural solution this is just very 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 elegant absolutely i love i love the just the sheer elegance of that because it it allows them to to implement something in the game that effectively says okay this figure doesn't get to focus without needing a lengthy rules explanation they say you focus when you declare an attack and it's yep. instantly clear what the implications of that are. Absolutely. So, I mean, Maul is a good example of a figure who he auto he can auto-focus on his attack. Mm -hmm. He has not made a very large impact on the metagame. But mm -hmm. I just think, like, that is... That's for other reasons. I mean, yeah, I mean maybe Maul... Maul's not optimal in a lot of ways. He's not as good mm -hmm. as IG or Pirates. That's fine. But, like, the whole point is, like, we have got to this point where we could see that if we get enough figures like this mm -hmm. who are... They don't hit as hard as um, pirates as 
like IG pirates, but they don't require the resources, which allows you to bring other things into your list. At a certain point, like you have got what you need in order to feel the competitive list that isn't dependent on the Rebel Care package. Right. Yeah, and I actually I really like the way it's implemented on both Maul and BT One, which is kind of a shame because those figures aren't seeing any play. Just like as yeah. a quick reminder, like Maul has the option to like when he declares an attack, he can either give the attack reach and become focused. Or it gets like cleave, I, I believe. I think I think that's right. Um, cleave and, two or, or something. Yeah, and BT and BT one has the like whenever he declares an attack, he becomes focused first, and his attack pool is blue, red, yellow. Yeah. But he so he rolls a Skittles attack, one of each color, uh, on a regular attack. But he also has that missile salvo that's like he gets to make three attacks, and he and he has to use a different die from his pool for each one. And because of the autofocus thing, it's like, okay, do I do I do one four die attack or do I do three two dice attacks? And I think that's a really interesting way to not only account for the focus, but to create some interesting choices uh, when you're running those figures. And I think that like the unfortunate thing is because we have a figure like IG-88 and we have other figures that don't require you to make difficult choices in order to optimize their attacks those figures are just see more play more frequently because they're not as difficult to optimize. Absolutely. I also want to have, before we get more into this, I think that Greedo and BT, so Greedo is possibly the best designed figure in Imperial Assault. Mm. I mean, he is clearly good, but I would say he's not a hardcore auto-include. Like, you're not dumb if you don't bring Greedo. But right. he just brings so much to the table He's flexible, all the, like he's got all these things going on, right? Mm -hmm. And BT, I think, is another interesting example where he is not as efficient as Greedo. So he's probably just a little, yeah, you know, he's just a little bit underneath the power curve. And also, like, there's other reasons. I mean, the fact that, like, Empire doesn't really have a, a, a deep deck of, or, you know, what's the word, a deep lineup of hunters makes Absolutely. it so that BT's like, he's just not as good, yep. right? He also, he's a little swingy. He can really whiff on range because he doesn't have any re-rolls. Yes, so yes. He, has, he, he has a couple of problems like that. But yeah, I absolutely agree that like, Greedo especially is a figure that like, when he's on the board, there's a certain calculus that exists around that particular figure. And both when you're playing him and when you're playing against him, that yes. creates really interesting situations. And I love Abs that about that figure. A absolutely. And I wanted to just say with BT, like, while BT might not see a ton of very competitive play, I very much like that. I think BT is a character who is just going to get better as time mm -hmm. goes on, mm -hmm. even though like his health cost isn't quite where it needs to be, blah, blah, blah. He's a little inconsistent. The fact that like he has already got what I consider to be like the structural fix for focus going forward, which is like this autofocus thing, just mm -hmm. means that like it, you're once people are really thinking about like building for him and once like the resources become available in terms of command cards and other attachments or whatever they need in order to like fix some of these figures or mm -hmm. make them more competitive or just make them different, he will have what he needs in order to come in. So right. that, was my, yep. that was my thought with him. Um, another fix, this is personally, this is my proposed fix, which is not elegant. It is um, kind of just a hammer, which is that Gideon doesn't focus scum. So we treat Gideon like we treat Jabba, where mm -hmm. Gideon is only able to focus uh, rebel heroes or rebel rebel players. Now, mm -hmm. obviously, scum people are going to whine about this because it it gives rebels the focus advantage, right? Mm -hmm. Unless scum wants to bring in Jabba, and Jabba's six points, Gideon's three. Rebels will have th two focus every round as opposed to 
scum will only have C-3PO giving out a focus. And I totally understand why they think, like, why scum say, well, this isn't fair, right? Like, Rebels continue to get a, a focus that we don't have. However, I think, like, the alpha, not the alpha, the offensive discrepancy between Rebels remains significant enough that I don't worry that much about it. Like, I think this change would happen. Every scum unit would still bring C-3PO, and all it would do is just bring the power curve down a teensy mm-hmm. bit. Yeah, so I just want to jump in. I really like that particular fix. Um, I think it does a couple of things. One, like, I'm not super worried because uh, Scum does have the option to... Like, right now, a lot of Scum are doing both Gideon and R2. Yes. And, I, and like, rather than them doing Gideon and R2, I would much prefer to, for them to have Jabba, who's going to fit a very similar role. He's, uh-huh. a, he's a little bit less efficient, which is why he doesn't see as much play. Yep. But I much prefer that as a thematic option. And I think that the changing Gideon so that he only focuses Rebel figures, I really like that particular fix. Yeah, this is so my this has been my proposal for a long time. I mean, mm-hmm. I have been not I have not played Scum Hunters, right? And so like for probably nine months, mm-hmm. this has been my thought in terms of like as soon as Java came out and we saw like, oh, this is an interesting like way to approach the focus mechanic. That has been what I think needs to happen. I originally I thought that neither Gideon nor C-3PO can focus scum. That might be a too too big of a hammer, but I think this is easy, right? Like all they need to do is just have a very, very simple errata that just says Gideon cannot focus scum units, and that's it, right? Like Absolutely. that's all yeah, they need to I, do. And I like keeping 3PO as an option for scum, particularly because the elite Jawa exists for droids yes. specifically. And yes. so I like hanging on to that. I also think that the other thing that this does is if you don't have Gideon, that maybe opens up a little bit more room. So you, maybe you look at that Claudite and you say, hey, this guy, this guy does a little bit of what Gideon's doing and a little bit of what an attacker's doing. And so they don't have the cheapest, most efficient option. I'm going to try this thing out. You know, I got clobbered yes. the other day by Robert Mosinger, who's one of our players. He was running Nexu with... Claudites, and he would use the Claudites to give just like a tons of evade tokens. Oh, man. And I was playing a super janky list, so I, I, I don't know that the Nexu evade token thing really keeps up, but it was a really interesting, like, hey, that's a thing that, that's a list that could become a thing that can't uh-huh. right now because Gideon is just so much better in Scum. Yeah, exactly. It's just too, too much more efficient. JK um, has another suggestion, which parallels mine but also affects Hera Mm -hmm. his his suggestion is that temporary alliance you're only allowed to bring non-leader units in Mm -hmm. so there's problems with this because um Jake Peterson from Twin Troopers podcast he has really been loving on his uh triple three amigos list which Mm -hmm. is Jedi Knight Luke IG Onar and Mm -hmm. if you if you do JK's fix you don't get this anymore and I don't feel like maybe that I don't personally I don't think that that's a big enough deal I mean I would be fine I'm sorry Jake but I'd be fine with him not being able to run this like particular list in order to fix these two things I mean losing Hera would hurt pretty bad but it's not like it's nowhere near as big of a hurt as losing Gideon and so I mean like it's just like another approach right like Mm -hmm. it's a simpler rata and yeah. then, I mean, the hard, hardcore errata is we just ban Temporary Alliance. So right. the only way that Scum is getting um, Rebel figures in is droids through the Jawas. And I'll just say one thing about this. It is po- it is possible, mo- probably even likely, that if the designers were to have a 2.0 re- reboot right now, that Temporary Alliance would not come anywhere close to being the, like an included card, right? Absolutely. Be- like, I think there's a pretty 
there's a pretty strong argument to be made that the reason that temporary alliance exists is because out of the core box, it was literally impossible to build a skirmish list of 40 points for scum without yes. help from rebels because you just have like a couple of Trandoshans and yep. and like some Nexu and that's about it. Yep, exactly, exactly right. And now the benches are deep enough that there's no need for them anymore. Exactly. And so... That said, like, I really do like the, the notion of temporary alliance and being able to splash in some things from other factions. And I like the thematic thing they have going where it's like, okay, Empire can splash in mercenaries and mercenaries can kind of splash in rebels, but rebels are their own thing. Like, I like some of those ideas. Yes. Um, and I also really like, like, so there's this thing happening with the leader keyword right now that I think is super interesting which is that there are basically two kinds of leaders in the game. There are the super cheap support units, mm-hmm. and then there are these really big, impactful people like Han or yes. Vader or Luke. And I like the idea that those are your two kinds of leaders that exist in the game. And I wouldn't necessarily... like I, 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 I think that the no non-leaders with temporary alliances, like, thematically, that makes a lot of sense, because like, what's Jedi Knight Luke doing running around with... IG-88 and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. That, I think that the uh, being able to preserve the splash of some of those big figures is a fun thing. And so I, I, I'm okay with that change, but it's not my favorite one. In yeah, terms of I the agree. banning temporary alliance, same kind of a thing. Like, I'm okay if that happens, but I prefer the ability to splash and to make weird janky lists if you want to, as long as it's not, like, as long as it's not the thing where you're just taking the most efficient core units from another faction into yours. With absolutely. It. Also, so one of the other changes that's been proposed is making changes to Gideon's focus and moving ability. So right now he can focus a figure, a friendly figure within line of sight, and he can give a friendly figure within line of sight two movement points. One of the suggested changes is, like, what if we change that to uh, he can only target figures within three spaces instead of line of sight? Um, what are your thoughts about this, Kenny? So, I, I mean, my problem with it is, is that it does very little, if anything, to affect how good Gideon is for ranged figures, whereas it takes... Like, I, I'm kind of biased towards melee units. I like Ahsoka. I like Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. I'm really liking Jedi Knight Luke. And they still need focus, and the ability for Gideon to give them a focus when they're in the fray and he is not is a big deal. And so mm-hmm. if you do this, now all of a sudden, like, I know that they're only going to get one focus in the game. And that right. that kind of hurt. That hurts a lot more than, like... Um, rangers and pirates who could just camp pretty close to Gideon. So they're not affected as bad, Absolutely. right? So I feel like it dis- it, falls, it falls disproportionately on the people who don't need it to fall as disproportionately on them. Yeah, I agree, and I, I, I really dislike this change. I think, <clears throat> excuse me, the other thing I don't like about it is that it it preserves the impact of, like, making your very first attacks in a, in a game really high impact, uh-huh. And it just causes you to fall off even harder. It, it, it focuses even more importance on the part of the game that where the chief complaint is, hey, the problem is that there's too much ha- importance happening in too small of a time window during the, any particular game. And I think it just exacerbates that problem rather than helping it. Absolutely. Um, one of the other changes that I've sort of talked about, which is that, like, so... And this goes back to... so. Rebel Care Package has been in the game for a long time. It's it's literally been in the game since 2015 when the Twin Shadows... Like, Gideon's been in the game since the core. 3PO came out in Twin Shadows. It's been around, and, it's, and it, has, it has constantly been in all Rebel and all Scum lists. 
But I think one of the problems we talked about, there's that thematic dissonance where Rebels and Scum feel very similar. And mm-hmm. I actually attribute that more to the fact that they're using all the same keywords and thus mostly the same command cards. If you look at how Scum and Rebels function prior to Jabba's Realm and all of the Hunter cards being released, even though they both were using Rebel Care Package, um, they felt pretty distinct. Like, the most popular archetypes that I remember from that time were, like, there were the Wonder Twins lists where it was, like, Farm Boy Luke and Leia and, like, Rebel Sabs or Obi-Wan or other stuff using Focus to sort of make these really big, high-roll type of a play. And then you had, in Scum, you sort of would have, like, uh, one of the lists that I would run a lot is you would use the Bantha with Beast Tamer. You'd have some maybe HK Assassin Droids or Bosk. And, and, you ha- and you're putting this focus on sort of your backup troops in that particular case. Like, yeah, like Bosk and HKs are doing a lot of work, but you also have this Bantha that's sort of a big immediate threat that can't benefit from the focus at all, or it, it can, but it's not efficient to do so. And so yeah. even though both of those lists were utilizing Rebel Care Package, they felt and played very differently. And so really, and I think this is probably the most likely thing that we're going to see as the game progresses, is that if we expand faction identity and figures and some of the keywords that those factions are using to be a little bit more distinct so that it's not just like, okay, a bunch of focus plus hunters and smugglers, if we get some more force user options for rebels, if we get some more guardian stuff, if we get a little bit more expansion on like some of the options that Scum have other than just Hunters, that could really go a long way towards making this feel more distinct without actually having to change anything that currently exists. Absolutely. Um, any thoughts about that, Kenny? I mean, I really like the idea of that. Um, I like that a lot. Obviously, we're, you know, focus functions like kind of one of these, it's a soft power concept, right, in terms of what we're talking about with it's a soft factor is how I should say that in terms of it's sometimes difficult to quantify what taking or giving focus is going to do in terms of like the outcome of a game. And so the, the reason why I bring that up is because command cards also form this very important component in terms of like um, regulating the efficiency, the power, the spike of your attacks. Absolutely. And so if there are cards, right, like this is, this is kind of the, the point you're getting at is if there are command cards that are going to help, um, these figures, like force users, is a great example, right? We don't. I don't want force users to get an on the lamb because that is just disgusting. We need like way fewer on the lambs, not more of them, right? Or like figures that can access it. But if they had a, a card that's like a similar ability, like a similar um, power level, or a suite of cards, right? Like assassinate, heightened reflexes, tough luck, or uh, tools to the job. If they had a suite mm-hmm. of cards like that, right? Then all of a sudden. You know, the fact that they're getting focus is important, but we've also got these, like, other things that are going on, these command cards that are going to give them a distinctive flavor. I really love the example of Wonder Twins and Beast Machines because those were two lists that functioned entirely different from each other, right? And, like, you felt, like, the feeling of playing a Bantha, there's, like, a peculiar terror that comes from playing that. (laughs) Whereas, like, the feeling of playing Wonder Twins, it's kind of like playing the box where you're, like, I have got a very narrow window in which I've got to remove these two figures, mm-hmm. Leia and Luke. It, it's a, lo- it's a lot like the pressure that Vader exerts currently. Yeah. Um, although it's it's a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, I think that kind of connected with this is we wanted to talk a little bit about like what's the general impact of focus on the game. Like, what does a focus die actually give to you? What do you expect to get out of it, and why is it as impactful as it is? So you're rolling a green die. What does that mean? Uh, generally what you're expecting is you, you get plus one accuracy, 
and you're going to get an extra damage and an extra surge. Uh, one of the things that's a little bit weird is if you were just looking at the dice and you say, okay, um, I really, like, if what I really want are surges, like, if you might start to immediately gravitate towards the yellow die, um, because I think it has one more surge on it than the green die does. But, but the truth of the matter is that, like, green die gives you, I think it's half of the sides have a surge on them. All of the sides but one have two icons, and the one that's a single icon has one surge. So that means that if you have, so if you have, if you're a figure that has a surge ability, that's worth uh, more like two or more effective damage. Whether that's actually two damage, which is a surge for two damage is pretty common right now. If you have Pierce two or Pierce three, if you have cleave or blast on your surges like Dracotta, those figures tend to benefit more from a focus than your average figure as do figures that have that natively roll blue and yellow dice and as a result um, need help from rerolls to target those more swingy, less consistent dice. Um, and I think that like where that ties in is again like one of the changes that we've seen for why I think that focus has become such a big deal in the post Java's realm expansion wave is that since that wave we have um, we have a lot more command cards that apply direct damage or allow mm-hmm. you to immediately add damage, and you have much more surge for Pierce two surge abilities that are just generally higher impact than they used to be, and so as a result, the ability to add a focus, which is hey, I'm adding some surges to any particular figure. It's one of the reasons why like people every once in a while will bring up the idea of what if Empire got access to focus. And I just sort of say, like, no, like, if you look at Empire, like, Vader's rolling red, red, yellow and has the best surges in the game. Riots have really good surge abilities. Um, and that's only mitigated by the fact that they roll a red and a blue. Like, giving f- focus to figures that have really good surge abilities is really scary. And that's Absolutely. why we're seeing such a big uptick of the importance of focus in the game right now. Absolutely. Um, so any thoughts about, like, general impact of focus, Kenny? I, I feel like I've, I was talking at you for a minute there. My point is, this is more of a strategic perspective. I think it is useful to consider, when we're talking about the impact of focus, and I'm going to use Han Ranger as an example because mm-hmm. you've only got two focus and you know, you've got more figures that need focus than focus generating ability. Yes, It's important to think like, what do you need to do with the particular focus that you're giving out? So Matt's like talked about like what it is that the focus gives you and the figures that obviously are benefiting from the focus, right? Like, so mm-hmm. you could see that someone new to the game would think, oh, well, what I want. Okay, so let's say I've got Han, Alliance Rangers, and a few uh, Rebel Smugglers. Mm-hmm. But what I want is I want to focus my Rebel Smugglers because then what I've got is instead of four units having three dice attacks... Um, or I guess actually you wouldn't have that with the, with the Rangers, but like, you see what I'm saying? Like these four great attacks. Yeah. Mm. I'm going to have more consistent attacks, right? But people who play the game know that that's not how this works, right? Like you understand that what you want to do is you want to put your focus, not in terms of like, um, flattening out your damage curve, even if it brings it up a little bit, but instead you want spikes, right? Because you want to be able to remove the figures that you need to remove. So the question is, is as you're thinking about who do I need to focus or how should I think about focus, right? Like I think about this all the time when I was running my old box Mm -hmm. and I think these Han Ranger players think about it. Like, do I focus Han 
or do I focus my Rangers, right? Like, at one point, do I focus one or the other? And right. it's important to think, like, what do I need this figure to do mm-hmm. in terms of, like, where do I want to position it? Who do I want it to kill? That is, like, in a lo- large part, what dictates where that focus is going to end up going. Absolutely. Like, in, and as somebody who's... I, I've been playing a lot of Han Rangers recently. It's the list that I took to Worlds. And my first impulse coming out of... So, like, I've liked Rangers for a while, and I've been running them. Um, the list I took to Denver Regional had Rangers, but not Han in it, which... Yes. I, it was early after the Heart of the Empire thing, and so I, I hadn't quite realized how good Han is. Yes. But, so my impulse for the first couple of times where I was playing that was... Okay, I, I want to focus the Rangers because Han has a solid attack already, and and I tend to like prefer consistency of damage and to make my lower impact attacks more impactful rather than like going all in on a big attack. And as I practiced more and more and more, I kept defaulting to no, like Han always gets a focus round one, and the reason why is because you run you run into these damage breakpoints where. Uh, as you, when you get really comfortable with the list, you start to look at your figures and you, and you know, okay, um, they can high roll this amount of damage, but generally, you know, I look at a ranger and I say, okay, an unfocused ranger is going to do like three to four damage if I'm lucky. Sometimes yes. two if they roll well on defense. Whereas um, an unfocused Han is doing like six or seven. Focused ranger, rather than that three or four, suddenly they go up to like, hey, six damage pretty consistently, and they can hit seven, which is pretty good. And that's a, yeah. really, that's a really big jump. However, um, Han is a figure that has such flexibility because you've got on the lamb in hand, because he's has the option to do some end-of-round shenanigans to double move and to sneak in an attack at the end of the round that you otherwise couldn't get. And because the breakpoint right now was... What I want to be able to do is consistently kill something that has seven health and rolls a black yes. die. Absolutely. And a single focused ranger can do that with help from cards, but it's not likely. Whereas Han, especially if you have, like Han with a focused die, most of the time is going to be able to one shot a jet trooper or a weak way. And that's especially true if you have, like, a card like Element of Surprise or Tools for him Absolutely. to use. Absolutely. Or Harry so, nearby. And so that, that, that's when it becomes really important to understand, okay, what are the breakpoints and where does, where does focus allow me to increase the efficiency of my attack actions? Absolutely. Uh, now that we have solved all of the problems in Imperial Assault. <laughs> that's it. That's um, it. FFG, you, you are happy to send us, we're happy to receive checks in the mail or whatever you want to do to reimburse us for all of our brilliant thoughts here. No, but how uh, about how about you just make the the Slack channel? We will use. I, I promise we'll use some form of uh, Ken Arrow, um, you know, preferential voting. Like we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll do. We'll, we will adopt a correct voting system. How about you put us in charge of the FAQ? That would. That, that's all I want. That's all. That the, the payment is worth rubies. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, because we certainly don't have biases or favorites. Hey, we've got. There is. I mean, if I'm trying to make Ahsoka a 16 dice dice attack figure, I'm sure there will be people who will vote me down. So that's that's true. But no, um, I think that the thing that's really sort of fun and interesting to consider. One of the things that I've really liked about this discussion is just talking about the degree to which focus has changed in its impact and in its strengths over the course of the game just by changing the context of what else exists. 
And I think that's something to keep in mind a lot. I think it's really easy to be very concerned or very alarmist about the future of the game because you, you're unhappy with the current state of the meta. But I generally would say, like, the meta is has been in a really interesting place. We have a ton of faction diversity, even if the list's archetypes feel very samey. Um, yeah. And, and just sort of keep in mind that the that moving forward into the future, changes in the metagame, very small changes that seem completely unrelated, can reverberate throughout the entire game and force really big changes. And Absolutely. so even though it feels like something is really static or it's really oppressive and it's not going to change without, without it getting tinkered with, I think it's important to keep that in mind. I want to, and I, I want to just say amen on the state of the meta. I know there is, like, it's like you're saying, and as I, I said earlier, the final was played between, you know, two samey lists, right? You got queen pieces with hunters, right? Right. And I get that, but the meta really is in such an incredible place in terms of what you, there might be things like focus, in my opinion, the, the problem with focus is not the sameness that it brings, but that I think it it privileges certain figures and certain factions mm-hmm. and certain figures and certain factions at the expense of others, right? Which otherwise, I think we could fix that, which would not break the game so much as allow these other figures who just like don't like don't interact with focus in the same way to be a little bit better. Like, Absolutely. I mean, like that, that's my thing. But the meta really is in such an incredible place in terms of mm-hmm. like the ability of people to bring diverse lists. The top 16 was unbelievably diverse. Mm-hmm. I think it's genuinely the first time that we have had a Worlds where there was that much diversity just in terms of the figures that were brought. Like, yes. like pretty universally in every other world, it was like, um, it was like either you had like 15 out of 16 that were almost, they were pretty much the same list or yes. you had, you know, four or five players that had figured out a secret cool thing and brought it and then a bunch of other people that were running samey things. Like, like genuinely, like, we... I've been assembling the ban list for our Nothing Played in the Top 16 is Allowed tournament event, and yeah. it has been genuinely difficult to track down every single card and figure that was played in the Top 16. That's how diverse it was. Yeah, that's... Man, how incredible. And I think about, like... Um, X-Wing, you know, which is getting ready to un- undergo a massive transition with mm-hmm. 2.0. But you think about, like, where their competitive season has been, and this is why I haven't played X-Wing for a year, is that it has been these very, very samey rebel lists against, you know, whatever it is that the Empire and Scum are cobbling together. And, like, the top eight, I know that the Worlds was won by a Scum list, mm-hmm. but the top eight, I think six of them were some variation of a, like, a Miranda Nim or something like that, right? And you just think... That is a problem that you couldn't even conceive of with the current Imperial Assault game, right? Like, mm-hmm. if everyone is bringing hunters, then that is going to allow lists like my old box, right? Like, that thrived on these certain things. Or mm-hmm. now, Vader, right? Or Troopers. Like, there's just all these ways to deal with it now. And I just think, man, that's it's just incredible. Incredible where it's at. Yeah, and I also genuinely think that there's just a lot of, like, undiscovered stuff that exists. You know, I think that... I think that with a, with some expertise, with a little bit of focus and playtesting, some of those figures that feel just a little bit below the curve, like Jedi Knight Luke or Drakata yep. or Ahsoka, or even like I've had my eye on Age of Blaze a little bit, um, mm. like a lot of those figures that feel just a little bit behind with some small changes or even with just some like practiced playtesting um, have the potential, I think, to come in and disrupt things. 
Absolutely. I and, and that's a really agree. exciting place for the game to be. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Well, Matt, we want to thank you for coming on, and I'm sure people are going to be angry. The Imperial players are just going to say, ban focus or give it to us, and the scum players are going to be mad that we talked about bringing them down <laughs> a peg. But do you have any other concluding thoughts for us? No, just that um, I would say I think that if you've talked with me or if you've heard my opinions on the Slack channel, you know that uh, I, I have them and that I'm willing to share them. So <laughs> That's right. That's exactly um, right. Jo- join us on the Slack channel and you can hear all of Matt's amazing uh-huh. opinions. So I mean, who wouldn't, right? I, I Hey, it's <laughs> one of my major selling points. Yep. Uh, no, I... Yeah, so I, I think it's it's the game's in a really great, great place. I really love it. We're really excited for Tyrants of Lothal. I'm yes. excited to see what changes come out from that because I really feel like the, the work that they've been doing over the last two or three waves has, has been like, okay, we kind of need to rebuild Skirmish from the ground up because it was like we, there just weren't enough impactful plays in the game. And now every faction is kind of up to a place where they have like a baseline of really impactful stuff. Yep. And now we get to start tweaking things. We get to see we're going to suddenly we're going to have a Thrawn who's going to change things. And there's going to be this question of like, okay, do you run Thrawn? Do you run Palpatine? What do you do here? What do you do there? I'm just really excited for us to get into a meta game where there are multiple archetypes for each faction. I'm just so excited. There's never been a better time to play Imperial Assault than now. Absolutely. I hear, here and amen. All right. Well, we want to thank again, Matt, for coming on. We want to encourage everyone to join us on the Slack channel by sending an email to zionsfinestia at gmail.com and support us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash zionsfinest. Thank you so much, Matt. Oh, thanks for having me. Anytime.